0: I always respond, well, we do. We say what we mean, but we do it in our own conversational style.
1: This is a podcast about the adventures of wild women. And through our adventures, we become wild women. We'll get into the heart of what adventure is all about and share stories from the wild women who inspire us to reach higher and dig deeper. We'll shine a spotlight on the mystery of places in the world we've encountered in our travels and where we're dreaming of going next. All women are invited to go wild with us. Welcome.
2: Hi, I'm Candace Bartlett. And in this episode, I speak with Deborah Tannen. Deborah is a professor of linguistics at Georgetown University and author of many books and articles about how the language of everyday conversation affects our relationships. In this episode, we dig in a little and discuss the ins and outs of female friendships and how communication plays a role in shaping those relationships. Have a listen. Hi, Deborah. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: Thank you. Looking forward to it.
2: Okay, let's dive on in. You've been researching the influence of linguistic style on conversations and human relationships for decades. I'm curious about your thoughts on how we communicate shapes our relationships.
0: Now, People often say to me, wouldn't this be a better world if we just said what we meant? Mm -hmm. And I always respond, well, we do. We say what we mean, but we do it in our own conversational style. And that's really the gist of the kind of thing I've discovered and and written about. Uh, We assume that others must mean what we would mean if we spoke in that way, in that context. And if our conversational styles are relatively similar, that's probably accurate, more or less. But if you speak to someone whose conversational style is different, they may not mean what you would mean if you said, something uh, in a similar way, in a similar context. Um, And so where do our conversational styles come from? Our conversational styles are influenced by a uh, wide range of aspects of who we are. Um, So certainly gender um, and gender identity, region, the part of the country you grew up in, uh, class background, ethnic background, Uh, religious background, the kind of work that you do, you know, you get an accountant speaking with a painter, there may be different uh, conversational styles. Mm -hmm. So it's everything about how we say what we mean. And all of that influences the uh, ways that language both shapes our relationships, but also reflects our relationships.
2: Yeah, I just finished a book of yours, You're the Only One I Can Tell, Inside the Language of Women's Friendships. It was so eye-opening for me. As a communications major, I've definitely read your work before, um, but I love deep diving a little bit more into your work and, uh, and the examples that you provided. Uh, the information really landed for me. Many aha moments, many dog-eared pages, many highlighted areas. Um, So I'd love you to talk a little bit about conversational styles and how understanding them can strengthen women's friendships. I.e., high involvement and high considerateness examples.
0: Yes, uh, thank you for asking that. Um, I came up with the idea of these two conversational styles, high involvement versus high considerateness, in a study that I did comparing ways of speaking of New Yorkers and Californians. Mm. And by New Yorkers, I mean New York City. Um, but this can be, uh, this can reflect people from any anywhere. We all have to balance at least two needs. One is the need to show that we're involved with each other. And the other is not to step on each other's toes. In mm. some styles, and the style I call high involvement um, is such a style. It's really most important to show your engagement, to show your interest, to show that you care. And for people whose style is what I call high considerateness, there's just more emphasis placed on not imposing. Mm -hmm. So quick examples of what these differences are and how they might affect a friendship. How do you know when the other person's turn is done and it's your turn to begin? Well, part of it is how long a pause you leave between turns a high involvement style often leaves a shorter pause because you want to make it clear that uh, you're not running out of steam in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas a high considerateness style might mean you're going to wait for a fairly long pause because you want to make sure nobody else has something to say or the person who's speaking Mm -hmm. has finished. Um, Well, if you have two friends with that difference, The one with the high involvement style will be speaking more, wondering why her friend isn't talking, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that friend is wondering, why aren't you giving me a chance to speak? Uh, And and Just a quick rundown of other other similar um, examples. Talking along to show enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, I know just what you mean. Yeah, the same thing happened to me. Well, for some people, that's great. That shows engagement. That shows how enthusiastic you are about the conversation of the person. For others, it it will feel like an interruption. Mm. But who's creating that interruption? If you start speaking and don't expect the other one to stop, you think you're encouraging her. And then that person stops, well, she's the one who created the interruption. Uh, Here's an actual example. Mm. These were two friends. Uh, They were taking a walk together and uh, one was telling the other about a a problem, something, that was important to her and that's very common among women's friendships. Talk is the glue that holds the relationship together and talk about problems. Troubles talk is often the type of talk that is valued. So this woman was telling her friend about uh, something bothering her um, and the friend was listening and then they're walking around a lake and suddenly she sees this duck and behind the duck, this line of little, little ducklings. It's so charming. And she says, look, look, look at that duck. And and then they pass a most beautiful flower. And she says, uh, oh, look at that flower. And suddenly her friend stops and says, you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. And the one who is listening, was was stunned by that. Why do you think I'm not listening? Of course I'm listening. Well, why are you talking about the ducks and the flowers? (laughs) (laughs) So For a high involvement speaker, those kinds of short interruptions do not disrupt the flow of the conversation. What they show is I wanna share this with you. And if I don't mention it now, the duck is gonna be gone because Mm. we're walking. But for a high considerate speaker, you have to let the ducks go (laughs) so that you don't uh, say anything that is not focused on the conversation.
2: Yeah, I've discovered I am definitely a high involvement listener. Uh, I want to touch you when you make a good point or, oh yeah, you, or jump to a similar example I've experienced myself. I want to let you know that I'm really engaged in what you're saying, but if we have different styles, then there may be a roadblock on our ability to connect. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, And so many, so many um, levels that which these different styles will differ. How much do you talk about what's bothering you for Mm. many people a real friend means you tell me what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. And women can be quite hurt to learn that a friend was going through something significant and did not tell you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, for other people, well, people will tell you when, you're, when they're ready. And if they weren't ready, they didn't tell me, that does, that's not a comment on the friendship. Just basic assumptions about what do you ask, for example. For many people, don't ask anything personal. That's intrusive. For other people, you have to ask personal questions. Otherwise, you're showing you don't care. You're not interested. Mm-hmm. Let's chat about social media. So whether you love it or
2: hate it, we know that social media has affected and changed how we communicate. I'm curious about how women show up, how we hold on to and interact with our friends on social.
0: One of the um, patterns that I observe between Uh, among women as compared to men. Women seem to be more attuned and sensitive to being left out. Mm -hmm. When women were hurt by a friend, by a mother, by a daughter, uh, it often was, she didn't tell me something or she didn't invite me to something. Mm -hmm. With social media, you're constantly exposed to evidence of things going on where you're not there. Mm-hmm. We all talk about FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh I talk about FOBLO, F-O-B-L-O, fear of being left out, and that's <laughs> worse. With FOMO, maybe you missed the party because because of social media, these uh plans are made at the very last minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh and so you you were you you missed the notice of it. Uh but with FOBLO, you weren't invited, and that's far worse. Um, So, social media um, exposes us to far more of that danger, that risk. Um, Think of a a party, you know, before social media, it was always an issue who you're going to invite to the party, but people were pretty, pretty um, diplomatic, you know, you didn't mention a party to someone who wasn't there, and you didn't know for sure had been invited. Well. Now, anyone at the party may put a picture on their, on their Facebook or on their Instagram, um, and so any other friends are gonna see it mm-hmm. <laughs> and know that they were not, not invited. Um, young women tell me that their texts, their Instagram, their uh, WhatsApp conversations uh, tend to be far, far longer and more frequent then men their age, or young men their age tend to exchange. Uh, typically for the young men it's going to be a, it's going to be jokes, <laughs> uh, think funny things, funny videos and um, plans. You make plans, of course. But for many girls and women, you have to keep in touch with your friends by checking in by, uh, sending them pictures of what you're doing so that they'll feel included. And that can be a little exhausting, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and certainly time consuming. So, um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's been a very interesting
2: time during the pandemic and, and the data is already showing that people are spending more time on social media and uh, craving that connection and comfort in a world of uncertainty, really
0: yes uh, that's absolutely true um i think this pandemic has uh, has set in relief the desire that many women have to be in touch with their friends mm. so if you can't be in touch in person you're doing it through social media you know i'm i'm, I'm intrigued by the use of selfies and taking pictures of things like food which is a big part of what people often use social media for mm-hmm. um so for my book uh, you're the only one i can tell i interviewed a huge number it was 100 women of different ages from 9 to 97 yeah. <laughs> and many of the older women were very critical of younger women's use of social media and i remember one woman woman in her 80s saying all this stuff out there that nobody needs to know i don't care what somebody had for dinner <laughs> but if you think of a of a close friendship not just among women you know partners romantic partners even parents, it's interest in these details of your life that -hmm. makes you feel connected. So at the end of the day and you say, what did you do and how did it go? And what did you eat? I went to this restaurant, what did you order? What did you make for dinner? (laughs) So what you ate is very much a part of feeling connected, feeling that you're not alone as you go through a day yeah. So I think what social media uh, does in a way is the same thing we would do in a private one-to-one relationship, but sending it out to a, a, a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. could comment that that's not everybody, you know, needs to see what you ate for lunch. But but I think it is a um, an example of the kind of thing that women have always valued in relationships.
2: Oh, I have experienced this one in my life, connection and competition. They play major roles in the dynamic between women and and women's friendships. What did your work show you about these two?
0: Yes. Uh, So when I wrote my book, you just didn't understand, one of the patterns that I observed and wrote about and that people felt rang true was that often women were focusing on connection. Women might be more likely to focus on competition. Um, so even little kids, the girls were always talking about how they're the same and boys were always trying to top each other. <laughs> mm. um, and, but it's really, I. It, it, but I. the more I um, investigated re- friendships and relationships among women, uh, the more I realized that women also are quite competitive, but we do it in different ways. And one of the things we're competitive about is how close we are and so these are really intertwined um so among girls and among women there's especially if it's a group of friends there's a little competition about who's closest to certain people to certain friends um, and one of the ways you know you can prove that you're close is knowing things <laughs> about knowing secrets so much of what uh, what constitutes friendship for many women is uh, telling secrets. Yeah. In fact, I collect pictures of kids and, and uh, astonishingly from all over the world. I have such pictures from Europe, from Africa. One little girl whispering in the other's ear. I've been sent a few pictures of little boys doing that, but it's much less much less common. So your best friends are the ones you tell everything to So if you know somebody's secrets, then that shows you're close. Uh, And that makes it very complicated for uh, girls and women. Uh, If you have something to tell, you've gotta be really careful about who knows in what order because there's competition for who knows what and who knows first. Mm -hmm. So uh, email can be very useful for that. You can send an email to, multiple people at the same time. one woman told me about her sisters that she would have to uh, arrange a conference call. So she told all her sisters at the same time because if she told them one at a time, the one who was told first would feel that she had won a competition and the ones that she told second would feel slighted. It is not always clear though, what is reflective of competition and what is reflective of connection. Uh, and there was a very, very uh, fascinating example. Uh, there were identical twins who were runners in the Olympics um, some years back. Uh, and they were running, I guess, a marathon, a very long uh, run. And they came to the finish line at the same moment, crossed the finish line, holding hands, identical twins. It was a great photo moment. Uh, They were German uh, and the German (laughs) sports association was very critical of them. Hmm. Uh, They said, you are supposed to do your best. Everyone must try to do their best. And if you finished at the same moment, one of you was not being a good sports person. You were not trying your best. And (laughs) so one of of those sisters... um, commented, she said, well, she was a bit behind uh, and she realized at one point, fairly close to the end, that her sister was ahead of her, but in sight. And she said, and I gave it all I had to catch up with her so that we could cross the finish line together. Now, did she do that because of competition? She didn't want her twin sister to beat her? Or did she do it because of connection so they could do it together? And I don't think there's any answer. I I think often competition and and connection can look the same. Oh, I love that. And and it's important to note that for many men and and women too, uh, competition can be a form of connection. Mm. Mm. So I'm curious, does commonality forge connection with women? Many women, in telling me about close friends, talked about similarities and commonalities. We both, I remember one one person saying about her best friend, "We're both complete dorks," <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know, "We both uh, love this or that." And w- w- another one saying. Uh, we both don't have children, so we don't have to pretend interest in each other's children as we have to do with our other friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we both love bike riding. <laughs> so that often is is part of it. Um, and I have uh, written about and, and um, observed how much saying you're the same is often a part of young girls' friendships. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost a um, stereotype. Uh, oh, I know the same thing happened to me. And that can really be uh, reassuring. You're telling about a problem. You're telling something you feel upset about. Why did I say that? Oh, I know just what you mean. I would have said the same thing. I've done that too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's one of the things that creates a sense of connection. But I think it's important to realize that often things that are our strongest connections can also be problematic. Most women that I interviewed said how how much they valued friendship, you know, typical comment, my friendships with women are as essential as air. But one woman said to me, a couple did, but one sticks in my mind, I find friendships with women difficult terrain to navigate. Mm. And she explained, women don't let you be different. You have to be the same. Uh, and so if you express a different opinion or that you would have done something different, they accuse you of being judgmental. Mm-hmm. She said, but men expect difference and that makes her feel freer. So that woman was telling me that for her, um, gay men were probably her best friends much more than than she found uh, commonality with women. Uh, and another woman commented to me, you know, my, my women friends don't let me be different. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if I say, they say this is a problem, and I say that's not a problem for me, they'll say, stop putting me down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's
2: important to feel safe. You know, uh, I know some of my best friendships are with women uh, where I can be 100% of myself, where I can explore ideas. And, and speak openly about them. And I'm not met with that judgment or arms crossed and self-righteousness, you know? it's I mean, it, it's very important. And I know that you did talk a little bit about that in your book as well. So interesting.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Many people made comments like, she gets me. Mm. I can be myself completely when I'm with her. But uh, because of conversational style, that observation that you don't want to feel judged... Is a reminder that the a way of talking that makes you feel judged may not mean that that person really is judging you. Mm-hmm. So that example of someone saying, "Well, if you just express a different opinion, she accuses me of being judgmental." So it's not it's not straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, conversation is always a matter of I talk about message and meta-message. So message is the meaning of the words. If you speak the language, we Share that, but meta message. Meta meta message is what it says about the relationship that you say these words in this way at this time, um, how you mean what you say, mm-hmm. and that is not on the record. It's it's uh, something you discern from the way people spoke, and so that means it's open to interpretation and misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. It's unavoidable. Yeah. What's your next adventure? You have a new book
2: that's just been published. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Finding My Father.
0: Yes, thank you for asking. I would love to. Um, I feel that I'm on this new adventure right now uh, because I recently published a book called Finding My Father. And the subtitle kind of tells what it is. Uh, His century-long journey from World War I Warsaw and my quest to follow. Uh, and it's completely different from any other book I've ever written. Um, I had written a dozen books before this, and all of them were analyzing interaction. This is kind of a memoir. I resisted calling it a memoir, because to me, it was mostly about my father, but with every revision, um, it became more and more about me. (laughs) I guess, really, that's why we're interested in our roots and our parents, because it helps us understand who we are. Um, and I adored my father. He, uh, he was the parent I felt connected to an affinity with, kind of similar to what I was saying about women friends. I felt he got me. Uh, and I felt my mother did not get me. So um, my father was born into a Hasidic family in Warsaw before World War I. He died at the age of 98. So he was born in 1908. Wow. He died in 2006 um, at 98. So uh, and, and it was a completely different world from any that I know. I mean, it was a world of gas lighting and um, horse-drawn carriages. It was Warsaw, it was not a shtetl. <laughs> When I first wrote the book, I thought that I was going to really focus on my father's memories of Warsaw. He had very detailed memories and kind of bring back to life and and preserve that uh, Jewish community of Warsaw. But I learned in doing research for the book that as as one Polish historian said, World War I was the twilight of uh, Jewish Warsaw. Uh, so, most of my father's uh, aunts and uncles, his mother's siblings gave up religion. Mm. Uh, the women got secular education. One was a physicist, uh, one was a dentist came pra- practiced dentistry in this country. Uh, the physicist by the way had studied with Einstein in zurich Wow had an affair with him. <laughs> uh, And then she came to this country. When he came to this country and moved to Princeton, she went to Princeton to be with him after his wife died. So these are very accomplished women. No kidding. (laughs) Fascinating that the uncles, my grandmother's brothers, did not get secular education. So they didn't even speak Polish very well. My father spoke Polish to his uncles, uh, Polish to his mother and his aunts. and uh, and Yiddish to his uncles and grandparents. Mm -hmm. By the time he came to this country, my father identified as an atheist, and a communist, and a Zionist, and that was the influence of his aunt, the one who was six years older than he. Um, But again, I I realized from just research that I did in, in writing the book that that was very common at that point. It was teenagers, like teenagers today. They look around the world, they see injustice, they see inequality, and um, they want to be part of a movement that will make the world better. And at that point, very early, very close to the time of the Russian Revolution, it looked like communism would be that solution. So the book is all about both my father's life and how my understanding of him uh, evolved. Uh, I sp- spoke to him for many, many hours, recorded our conversations. I had 200 cassettes of conversations that I recorded. Have had not been able to listen to every one of them. I probably don't have enough time in my life, but uh, many of them were. I was interviewing him about specific things I have transcribed. Um, <laughs> that's
2: that's beautiful. I mean, what a what a gift to be able to, because often with our parents, you know, we we don't get those nuances and those
0: stories that help kind of frame who they were in the world before we saw them as our parents. Absolutely, uh, yes, 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 to see them as people and not just as parents. Yeah. Um, I like to quote um a line from a short story by Ethan Kanan in, in the story. it's it's a character saying about a TV show. I came in too late to understand. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's how it is with our parents. We come into their lives too late to understand them. Uh, but I was lucky that my father lived very long and that he liked to talk <laughs> and he liked to <laughs> reminisce about his life. And so and so he had detailed memories, bizarrely detailed memories of his early life, of his entire life uh, and was happy to talk about it. But I think it's, People tell me that reading the book, they are inspired to talk to their parents and older relatives while they can. Even for me, it was making a decision, this is going to be my next book. Mm. That made me feel free to take whole days and just talk to my father. I would not have felt that I could do that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that.
2: Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Deborah. I love geeking out about this stuff, you know, getting curious about how we communicate, just make us better humans, if you ask me. And it gives us a way to
0: kind of tools to turn to when things seem not to be going well. Mm. So instead of immediately going to blaming the other person, blaming ourselves, blaming the relationship, you can ask, Is it something about conversational style? Mm -hmm. And if it is, you can talk about it and you can find ways to change it. We're going to pop any info about how to find
2: you and your new book in the show notes. And again, thanks so much for for sharing your thoughts today. I'm I'm sure our listeners will find it incredibly interesting. And, uh, you know, understanding communication just fosters better connection. And we all want to feel connected right now. So thank you.
1: Wild Women Expeditions is a global leader in women's adventure travel. And we're so much more. We're nature lovers. We aim to empower women and communities around the world. Want to know more? Check us out at wildwomenexpeditions.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram.